you're able to stand with me this morning, turn to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. Aren't you glad that the Lord accepts us just as we are? And what are we? We're sinners. And after we meet the Lord, we're sinners saved by the grace of God. What a blessing to be a Christian, especially in this day and hour that we live in. And uh, this morning, last week, we looked at uh, why I love America, and certainly we love America. And this morning, our focus goes to our day, I love my church. I hope you love your church. And I'm going to give you four reasons from the Word of God from this passage, four reasons why I love my church, but you should too. And again, don't love the church because I do, but if anything, love the church because the Lord loves the church. And we'll see it here in Acts chapter number 2. You follow along with me in verse number 41. And the Bible says, Then they, and that's in reference to the church, that gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together, and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily, with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the church. Lord, we love it because you love it, and certainly we want to continue to love what you have loved, and where you place the emphasis is where we should. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated this morning. You know, I love the church, why? Because the Lord founded the church. I love the fact that God was the one that established it, that when we think of the church according to the word of God, the very word church is the word ecclesia. That's a compound word. You have the preposition ek, which means out. And then you have a verb, kaleo, which means to be called. And so you put them together. What is a church? It's a called out assembly of baptized believers. And we get that right from the very words that we just read here in Acts chapter number 2. Now, when you get to the book of Acts, just so you understand, the book of Acts is a book that is a transitional book. When you study the Bible, the Old Testament, primarily God is dealing with the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. When you get to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the, the, the target audience in the gospel records is still primarily the nation of Israel. But the Bible says because of the unbelief of the Jews, that the gospel, the good news, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the gospel then goes forth to the Gentile nations. And it's a wonderful thing when you study that the church is not a building. It's a body of believers, and 
As you study in the gospel records, what did Jesus do? Well, the Bible says in Matthew 4.19, Jesus began to call out his disciples and he said unto them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, some of these guys by trade, by their living, they were fishermen. <clears throat> they were very good. They knew the waters. They knew the sea. They knew how to catch fish. What they did not know how to do was how to catch men. And Jesus said, if you follow me, he says, I'll instruct you, I'll teach you so that you can bring others into the fold, into the family of God. And if you're watching this morning or you're here, you probably notice what the birthdays and some of the other things, we are a family. Why? Because God is our father and we are his children. I look around this morning and I see my brothers and sisters in Christ and we are a family. Why? Because God has established this family, this church that we here call Bible Baptist Church. The true church is a church that is not built on man, it's built on the Lord. The Jesus said as he continued his earthly ministry in Matthew 16 and verse 18, he said unto thee, and of course a lot of times and there are religious uh, organizations today that say this passage is all about Peter, they're missing it. This passage isn't about Peter. It's actually about the Lord. Peter might have been directing the comments to Peter, who was oftentimes the outspoken individual. But remember, the other disciples were there also. If you look at the entire context, he might have been talking directly to Peter, but all of them were hearing what he said. And this is what he said, thou art Peter, that is true. He says, but upon this rock, he's making reference to himself. He says, I will build my church. He didn't say, Peter, I'm going to build your church. He says, upon this rock, he's making a reference to himself. He says, it's my church. I'm going to build it. I'm going to establish it. You find in the word of God in, in the book of Acts, how the Bible says that he loved the church and he gave himself for it. He purchased the church. He paid for the church. He redeemed the church with his own precious blood. And this morning we have been bought with a price and the Bible says we ought to glorify God in our bodies because we've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I love what Jesus told Peter and the disciples. He says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, the devil's going to try, but he's not going to succeed because this is God's work. And the reason I know that is our church, for one of many churches in this country and around the world, has been here for 70 years. But listen, we're just a part of the church that began when Jesus established the church when he was on this earth. And we are a part of the true church of the living God. Now, when you come to Acts chapter number 2, which is where our text is today. Acts chapter 2, one thing, uh, event that happened in Acts chapter 2 is what is referred to as the day of Pentecost. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't have time to dwell on it this morning, but there is a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to the day of Pentecost, what the day of Pentecost is all about. And you say, Pastor, are you going to give your, your opinion? No, I am not. I'm going to give you what the Bible has to say, what God has to say about it, so that we understand the significance behind this particular day in the Word of God. The word Pentecost is the Greek name for a festival, a Jewish festival in the Old Testament that was known as the Feast of Weeks. Now that Feast of Weeks is something that the Jews 
still celebrate. It's something that is celebrated at the end of the grain harvest. And of course, I love many of the significant things that the Jewish people to this day still observe and still pay attention to that they find premise for it in the Word of God. The word Pentecost means 50, penta. Pentecost means 50. It refers to the 50 days that have passed since what is known as the wave offering. It was an offering for the Lord. 50 days have gone by since the Passover. And most of us know what the Passover was in the Old Testament where the blood was applied to the post of the door and the death angel would pass by and pass over. And aren't you glad that in your life and mine that the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to our account? And we today uh, have been uh, sanctified and justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we come to Acts chapter number 2, this day of Pentecost, it's very, very important because remember the event that happened just before this. Now, not the day before, but Jesus came, he lived, and he died on the old rugged cross. He gave his life. Now, while he was on this earth, he said, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it again. And the Bible says, this spake he of his body. He wasn't talking about a building. He was saying, look, you can try to take my life and end my life, but in three days I'm going to rise from the dead. And by the way, we know that it is true that Jesus rose just as he said he would. By faith, we believe that. But after Jesus rose, the Bible records that he spent 40 days on this earth. 40 days showing himself alive by many, not a few, many infallible proofs. In other words, he left no doubt. He was seen by a few individuals, but at one time he was seen by all the disciples. He was seen by 500 brethren at one time. I mean, there was no doubt that, look, they wanted to tell everybody that the disciples took the body of Jesus, the dead body of Jesus, and they told everybody he rose from the dead, but Jesus showed himself alive. It's a fact. And as we think about that, in Acts chapter number 1, what happens? Jesus goes back to be with the Father. He ascended to, to, to the right hand of, the, of God on high, and we come to Acts chapter number 2, and we come to this day of Pentecost. It was really a turning point in the history of the church because in, in chapter 1, what did Jesus instruct the disciples to do? He told them to wait for the promise of the Father. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter number 1 what the, what the promise of the Father was. It was ascending of the Holy Spirit of God because remember, God is a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So God sent his son Jesus to this earth. He lived on this earth. He was without sin. He gave his life. And as Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, went up, God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, came down. That's what the day of Pentecost is really all about. Because what we find is, earlier I said that Jesus began to call out his disciples to follow him. We see Jesus in the role of a pastor with these, these followers, the disciples with him. On Acts chapter number 2, the Holy Spirit then comes and the Holy Spirit of God 
empowers the church, which again is not a building. He empowers the church to do the work that God has called them to do. Now think about this. That the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus, who was God, was already there. But as Jesus was with them, he told them, he says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, but I will not leave you comfortless. I'm going to send another one just like me. And think about this. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that when we come to know Christ as our Savior, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Bible tells us in John 14 that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. So the Holy Spirit of God, if you're saved this morning, the Spirit of God dwells in us, and it's the Holy Spirit of God that helps us, that empowers us as the church to do the work of God. And as we look at the context here this morning, the reason that I love the church is because the church that you and I are a part of is the church that Jesus began, it's the church that Jesus loves, and the work that we are doing is not our work, it's his work. And so as we understand that this morning, I don't want to waste in my life, and I hope that you don't either, and I think just by you being here today or listening this morning, we don't want to waste our time attending a church, being a part of a church that teaches something that is contrary to the Word of God. That's why I love a Bible-believing church, because when somebody asks me, why do you believe that, I can turn in the pages of this precious book and I can show them what God has said instead of what man has concocted. Many times I grew up in a religious system that was all built on a church that man established instead of the true church, the church of the living God. And we understand this morning that God hasn't changed, and certainly because God hasn't changed and God isn't planning on changing, then his church ought not change either. People say, well, that's just old-fashioned. No, that's Bible-believing. That's what God would have for us as his church. And this morning, I want you to look at these marks of a, a true church, the church that God founded, the church that God loves, the church that you and I should love too. Notice the first thing I see this morning is the reason that I love my church is because it has the right message. When you want to go to church, listen, I don't want to get my ears tickled. I don't want to feel good about myself because I'll be honest with you, feelings come and go. Sometimes people walk out of some of these newfangled church services, and boy, they're on a spiritual high. It's almost like they've been taking drugs while they're in the service, but as soon as they walk out, they come down from that high. See, I'll tell you one thing. When you're part of the true church, the truth that you hear, you take it with you. It guides you. It helps you day by day to live the life that God has intended for you. And so a church that has the right message is a church that has the right message about the Savior. Look, if you're there in Acts chapter number 2, look what the Bible says about the Savior right here in this very same chapter. Look at verse 22, how Peter is standing there on the day of Pentecost. Listen to his message. He says, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God... Ye have taken, and he says here, by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible, it was not possible, it was not possible that he should be holden of it. 
for David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you uh, of the patriarch David. By the way, can you just see Peter standing there on the day of Pentecost? And this was his message as I'm reading this morning right from the pages of the Word of God. But, uh, Peter says, let me speak to you, men and brethren, of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and David's sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. David, in his day, spoke of the resurrection of Christ long before it happened that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God, Peter said, raised up, whereof we are all witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which we now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Boy, talk about a message. Peter just preached there on the day of Pentecost. He had the right message because it was a message about the Savior. It was about the church that God had founded. And the church that God founded that has the right message is one that preaches a message that is, as Peter did that day that exalts the Lord Jesus Christ, that proclaims his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and that points a lost world to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, a message uh, is a right message, and I love the church because it has the right message about the Savior. It has the right message about sin. Now, there's a word that people don't like. But if we're going to be people of the Bible... We have to understand what God calls it, and God calls it sin. You can call it whatever you want. The world's getting real good about descriptive adjectives, calling it all kinds of things. But look, just, just get rid of the fluff this morning and just call it what God calls it. God calls it sin. And when we look in the Word of God, what do we see? We see a crystal clear message regarding sin. The Bible says in Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was shapen. In iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me I'm sorry mom but when you have that cute little baby guess what that baby is according to the Word of God a sinner we're all sinners all have sinned. the Bible says and come short of the glory of God Romans 7 18 Paul's own testimony look at it he says I know that in me that is he says in my flesh dwelleth no good thing for to will is present with me Paul says, I want to do what's right. He says, but how to perform that which is good? I find not. Why? Because of that sin nature that is in us. Look back here in Acts chapter number 2. Look what the Bible says in verse number 40. It says, with many other words, 
did he testify, talking about Peter, and exhort, saying, Save yourselves unto this, look at these words, untoward generation. If you have a space in your Bible and you like to write next to things in your Bible, here's a couple words that you can, by the way, I'm not making these up. This comes from the actual word, the word untoward. Here's what it means, perverse. It means crooked. Here's another rendering of it, twisted. And what is God saying here through Peter on the day of Pentecost? He's warning every sinner. By the way, that warning is still there today. That every sinner needs to turn from their sins. Jesus' message when he was on this earth and he established his church in Matthew 4, 17. Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. What is he saying? Turn from your sins. Turn from the, the life that you're living. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, the reason that we ought to love the church is because it has the right message. It has the right message about the Savior. It has the right message about sin. Look at this. It has the right message about salvation. I'm glad that 36 years ago that God saved my old wretched soul. And look back here in Acts chapter number 2. As Peter stood on the day of Pentecost in verse 38, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. He wasn't saying, look, if you get baptized, that, that baptism will take care of your salvation. He's saying, no, because you have repented, because you have been saved, he says the way to show that, the evidence of that, is to follow the Lord in believer's baptism for the remission of sin, or because your sins have been forgiven. And he says, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. By the way, here it is, here's a great verse for you if you struggle or you have a friend that struggles. Because if you look at verse 38, guess the, what the order you see is. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you are scripturally baptized. And notice that the Holy Spirit of God becomes a, a part of your life. See, a lot of times people think that you have to have the Spirit to be saved. But notice that God gives the order here. Look at verse 39. He says, for the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off. Who can be saved? Everyone. The Bible says to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words, and did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. See, the, the, the right church, a church that we ought to love, is a church that has the right message about salvation. A church that is pointing people, lost people, to Jesus and Jesus only. Now, the reason I'm making a big deal out of this is because the Bible does. Because watch this, we're living in a day, and by the way, this isn't nothing new, where people are adding works to salvation. You have to belong to a church. You have to give money. You have to be baptized. You have to do all these things. You have to be good. The Bible says there's none good. See, this is what the religious systems of the world have tried to get us to believe, but yet the Bible tells us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We don't need to add anything. If we add something to what Jesus did, then we're going to have to take three words out of our Bible where Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus paid it all. We don't have to add anything to it. And a church that we should love 
is a church that has a right message about salvation. A church, look, look, it does not preach salvation through religion or through ritual like so many churches in the world today. The Bible says, for by grace, God's grace, are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Look, there'd be all kinds of people saying, hey, look, I'm on my way to heaven because I did this or I'm a part of this or because my granddaddy was a Baptist preacher. No, the Bible says to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And a true church is a church that holds up Jesus as the final authority when it comes to this matter of salvation and the sin problem. That's why Jesus said in John 14, I am the way. There's no other way. He says, I'm the truth. He says, I'm the life. Look at, look at the verse. No man cometh unto the Father. He says right here, but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In Acts 16.31, I've used this verse this morning already. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. See, the right message about salvation. Look, I love when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and, and this, this, boy, just this message right here would change the world we live in because if you look at his message, it was a biblical message that, by the way, long before all this movements that are going on in the world today, Peter's message on the day of Pentecost transcended all social classes, all races, and all sinners. Look back in Acts, Acts chapter number 2, look at verse number 5. Look at these. It says, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem. Peter's there on the day of Pentecost. And so the Bible's going to tell us who was there. Notice, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, there were, now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and they were confounded. The Bible says here, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. By the way, the word language is not some gibberish. It is known languages. The word is glossa. It's a known language. They heard it in their own language, English, French, Spanish, whatever it might have been. But if you look at it, the day that Peter stood on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says when they heard it in their own language, they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in his own tongue wherein we were born? And then the Bible tells us who all were there. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and all parts of Libya, uh, about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. You ought to underline that in your Bible. The Bible tells us right there. You don't even have to wonder what they were hearing. The Bible says they heard the wonderful works of God, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Hey, listen, this was a supernatural act of God that took place on the day of Pentecost. It was the right message. It was a message about salvation that all could be saved. Aren't you glad that God includes everyone? 
For God so loved the world. Doesn't say the white man. Doesn't say the black man. God loved the world. The, the right message about salvation. But look, a church that we should love should also have the right message about sovereignty. Look, look back in Acts chapter number 2, verse number 39. We go back to this verse. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And there's a lot of people today that would say, well, there's only certain people that can be saved. That's not my God. That's not my Bible. Because when we study the Word of God, we find that God is the author and finisher of salvation. Peter wrote it this way, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. He says, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any, God doesn't want any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. Paul wrote to Timothy and he says, who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. Jesus himself taught in John chapter number 6, look at the words, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, Jesus said these words, I will in no wise cast out, for I am came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which, with, which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose, what's that next word? Nothing. Not one but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have, what kind of life? How long is everlasting? It's forever. Who's the one that's offering that life? God. Does God take back what he promises? No. Can you lose it? No. Again, that's the teaching of man, not the teaching of God. Jesus said, I came that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. He says, I've given them eternal life, everlasting life, and that's what he says, I will raise him up at the last day. Hey, you remember in the Old Testament, that little book named Jonah? Remember that guy that got thrown into the big fish? You don't remember that? Some of you act like you don't remember that. Let me have the kids come in and rehearse the story for you. Don't act dumb in church. Remember what happened? Jonah got thrown in by the way, later on in the New Testament, the Bible actually calls it a whale. I know a lot of people say, well, it just says big fish there. That's true. I don't know how big it was, but it was big. But Jonah ends up in it. For how long? Three days. And there's great, great significance to that too. And the Bible says that Jonah referenced where he was as the belly of hell. And out of the belly of hell, Jonah's prayer was these four words. Salvation is of the Lord. I think he understood what God was trying to get him to do, to go to a wicked city and preach the good news. See, oftentimes we forget that we're not the ones that saves people. God is in the saving business. God just said, Jonah, I just want to use you. I just want you to go so that those people can hear. See, a church that we should love is a church that has the right message. That has the right message about our Savior. has a right message about sin. has a right message about salvation. It has a right message about the sovereignty of God. But notice another reason why we should love the church is because it has the right membership. 
Now, some of you may be listening or here today, you're not a member of our church. I'm going to give you some Bible this morning because a lot of times people think almost a church is like some kind of uh, secret society or some kind of club. But that's not really what a church is. You see, when you look in the Word of God, you find that a church that has the right membership, it's first of all a saved membership. Look what it says in verse number 41 of Acts 2. Look at it again. Then they that gladly received what? Come on, talk to me. What did they gladly receive? His word. Whose word? God's word. What do you hold in your hand today? God's word. What is it that has the power to change a life? My words? God's word. You know, you think about Jesus with the maniac of Gadara. What changed that man? The words that Jesus spoke to him. Jesus himself was there. Jesus was God incarnate in the flesh. When you think about what is a church, a church is not something that you can just get a membership to. You have to be saved according to the word of God. The Bible says again here in this chapter, then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day, they didn't have to go through some process. Aren't you glad, as you heard the song this morning, that Jesus loves us and accepts us just as we are? Boy, if I had to understand everything before I became a part of the church that I was saved at, I probably still wouldn't be a part of it. But the Bible tells us here that it is people that gladly received His Word. The church is made up of people that have had a new birth experience. See, we're all born physically into this world. But we need to be born again. We need to have a spiritual birth. If you're here today or you're listening to us this morning, there has to have a time in your life when you've come to the point where you realize that you are a sinner and that Christ died for your sins and that if you put your faith in Him, that He will save you from your sins. This was the whole premise of John 3 when Jesus spent time with one of the religious leaders of the day by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus knew the law. He was well-versed. And Jesus said to him, ye must be born again, Nicodemus. Nicodemus struggled with that. He says, how can I? Can I enter into my mother's womb a second time? I wouldn't want to be Nicodemus' mother. But Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That was Jesus' words. Again, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Do you know that there are churches today, maybe some here this morning, and I'm glad you're here. I'm not against anyone But the Bible is clear, when Jesus was with his disciples, there was some discussion because if you've ever, if you know anything about wheat, there is something that looks just like wheat that's called tares, T-A-R-E-S. And they say that tares look so much like wheat that it's hard to make the distinction from one to the other. Remember how the disciples, they were always so zealous, they, they wanted to weed out the tares. Do you know that's not the church's responsibility? It's not my responsibility. 
By the way, how can a tear come to know Christ unless they're in church under the word of God? But there may be some here this morning that look just like a Christian. By the way, I know how to do it for three years. I had on a nice suit. I had on a nice tie. I had a nice haircut. I had the right speech. I was walking a certain way. Hey, it's easy to play church. It's easy to play Christian. There are a lot of times you see in some churches where they want to be a part of some uh, group of people because the church makes them feel good and they might slip in like tares slip in among the wheat and oftentimes we can't help that. But I'll tell you one thing we ought to do is as a church, as a true church, as a church that God would love, we ought to do everything we can to strive to have a saved membership. Look back in verse 47 again. The Bible says, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So when you think about what is a church, it's a saved body of believers. And so when you think about the right membership, it's saved membership. Secondly, it's a membership that is separated. Look at verse 42 of our text. The Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. This church walked in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. Where do you think the apostles got their doctrine from? They got it from Jesus. So they were following the the clear teachings, the commands of the Word of God. They were a separated people. They broke off the ties that they had with the old life. Hey, look, if you're a new Christian this morning, I know that it's a struggle once you get saved and you have people that are around you that you used to be friends with, but God's done a work in your heart. You've had that new birth experience, but you get around them and it's a very difficult time in your life. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. These these people we're looking at here in Acts chapter number 2 They came to Jesus. Their life was changed. Uh, A truly redeemed child of God. Look, if you're saved this morning, I know that a Christian would never have a problem with biblical standards of separation and holiness. Why? Because that's what the Bible teaches. And Jesus said himself, he says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. God wants his people to be different. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, if you want to turn there in verse number 14, The Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. I will be their God. They shall be my people Wherefore, come out from among them, and what? Be ye separate, saith the preacher, saith the Baptist church. No, it says, saith the Lord. And notice, as we come out from among them, as we separate, God says, touch not the unclean thing, and I, God, will receive you. Notice as he goes on. He says, I will be a father unto you. Ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, a membership of a church that God would love is a saved membership. 
It's a separated membership. Notice it's a steadfast membership. The Bible says again in verse number 42 that they gladly received his word, were baptized. The next verse, they continued how? Steadfastly. The word means earnestly towards. They were devoted. They were constant in the things that God would have for a church. They could be counted. Listen to me this morning, Christian. They could be counted on that when it came time that they would be in their place. They weren't playing Casper the Friendly Ghost church member. Where's he at today? Where's she at? The Bible shows here that they continued steadfastly. They were doing their part for the common good of this church, of this body of believers, all for the glory of God. What does God expect of his church? That we would be like our God, and that is we would be faithful. The Bible says here in 1 Corinthians, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found how? Faithful. Just be faithful. Be in your place as, as you're a part of the true church. And look, when you look at a right membership, it's saved people, it's separated people, it's steadfast people. But I love letter D, it's a serving membership. Look at verse 44, the Bible says, And all that believed were together, and having all things common, they sold, notice here, not someone else's. They sold their possessions, the Bible says here, and they parted them to all men as every man had need. I love the fact that our church is a church that is a serving church. I'm praying that some of you that may maybe you're not serving right now, we need ladies to work a nursery and we need men that, that would usher and we need people to work the sound room and, and we need people in the choir. Hey, listen, find a place to serve God. When you look in Acts chapter number two, what do you see? You see a church that was marked by selflessness. These members, they truly cared about the needs of others and they did everything that they could to meet those needs of other people. They displayed their love towards them. It wasn't just lip service. It wasn't just words. It was their very actions. They showed people how much they loved them. Look in 1 John 3 and verse 17. The Bible says, Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed, by your actions and in truth. Hereby we know, by, by our actions, we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. Paul told the church in Philippi, he says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. People say, well, listen, I, I just don't know if I can take care of myself. How can I take care of others? You're missing it. You take care of others, and God will take care of you. And we need to understand this morning that a true church, a church that God loves, is a church that has the right membership. But notice, thirdly, it's a church that has the right methodology. In other words, how the church is organized. And I shared maybe last week or the week before some of the things that people misunderstand, some of these uh, man-made religions today and how they are structured. Listen, say, well, do you have it right? Well, I know this. We may not do it exactly the way that we ought to, but we are striving to do it the way that God would have it to be done. Where do we find that from? In the pages of the Word of God. And when we look at organization, it's important that we see, just like this first church, that they, first of all, worship together. The Bible says that they met for prayer, for instruction in the Word of God. They met together to worship the Lord. That's why we're here today. 
We didn't come for the donuts. We didn't come for the, the luncheon afterwards. And by the way, I hope you enjoyed a donut this morning. I hope you stay for the lunch today. We came to feast on the Word of God this morning, to worship together this morning. And the Bible says they came to praise the Lord. Why? Because He's the one that redeemed them from a devil's hell. And you notice what the Bible says here. Boy, we ought to take note of this verse here. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Hey, there are people today living sinful lifestyles, and they're saying all kinds of things. But the Bible says, if you're saved, say so. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 15, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifices of praise to God, how often? Continually. We ought to be praising God all the time. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. This church was one that worshiped together. Notice, secondly, they worked together. The Bible says, look at it again in verse 44. It says they, had, they were all together, had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods, parted them to all men as every man had need. This church had a, for their common goal, the common good. They worked to benefit the group. God hasn't called you and me to sit in the pew and to sit by and do nothing. God's called us to do what? To work. God wants us to not only work, but he, as we see here, to work together and to do it for His glory. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So notice, what even James says, he says, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. He's not talking about being saved by his works. He's saying once you are saved, there ought to be evidence of your salvation. Well, how do we do that? By working together. But notice also that a church that has the right methodology walks together. The Bible says again in Acts 2, this church, they enjoyed fellowship. They enjoyed the breaking of bread. Hey, we're, we're getting ready to break some bread here in just a few minutes. They had a singleness of heart. There was a, a few things that we see here that created a unity of this church. The members came together to serve together as a family. They are on the same team. By the way, we are too. We have the same master. We're all headed to the same place, heaven. And we can surely, while we're on this earth, walk together as we make this trip. The Bible says, look in Philippians 1, verse 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Paul said, whether I come and see you or else be absent, he says, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for what? For the faith of the gospel. They were walking together. But notice, they also witnessed together. They weren't ashamed of the message, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. They did everything they could. That's why we're having a missions conference, is to spread the good news all across this world. God desires for his people. He says, ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The Bible says that he tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So look, if we are to love a church, what kind of church should we love? We should love a church that has the right methodology. But look at this last thing is we should love the church, and I certainly do because we have the right master. The right master. The Bible tells us and shows us here in Acts chapter number 2 that he is powerful. See, this was the right kind of people in Acts chapter number 2 the church, they were carrying out the right kind of ministry. And as they were doing what God had given them to do, guess what was evident? The power of God was working. The Bible uses words where the Bible says that he added 
to them such as should be saved daily. God is the one that adds to the church. We're not the ones that touch the heart of individuals. The Bible says he manifested his power through wonders and signs. Hey, look, I think it's wonderful when you see how even the community of the day of the church in the book of Acts, how the community sat up, they took notice of the work of this church. And the Bible says in Acts 2 that the church feared the church. The community feared the church. They respected this church. Why? Because God's power was evident. And can I tell you that the power of God back in Acts 2 is still available for the church today. And we need God's power to be the right kind of church. And we have a God that is powerful. But notice also he is personal. Look in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. The Bible says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily as such as should be saved. I love this, how the, the church didn't worship a God that was unknowable. They knew God. You, see, you might be here this morning just like me and say, well, pastor, I'm saved. I've been saved for many, many years. Listen, if you know God personally, intimately, it ought to change the way you live your life. This church had worshipped the Lord because of a personal redemption in their life from their sins. They had a personal relationship. They knew him and everything they did for him, they did it because they were consumed by their love for him and what he had done for him. Look, the love that they had for him, it was evident. It permeated in everything they did for him. It was the result of their love for him. And I think the same ought to be said of us today is we should have that same love. Jesus said, by this, shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So here's the question this morning. Do you love the church? And maybe I should say, why do you love the church? I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of the church that God loves. How many of you would agree with that this morning? Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You that are listening this morning, we want you to listen during this time that we call an invitation. With no one looking around this morning with their heads bowed and their eyes closed, we won't be much longer. But I just want to ask you today, how many of you know Christ as your Savior? Would you slip your hand up? There's been a time in your life that you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not trusting in what you can do but you're trusting in only what Jesus can do. Hands everywhere. You can put your hands down. I wonder this morning, no one's looking around, but would you be honest before God today? Pastor, I'm not sure. I've heard the message many times, but I've never had a time that I've settled it. God's been speaking to me this morning. I, I don't want to miss heaven. Pastor, would you include me in your prayer this morning? Would you slip your hand up this morning? I, I'm not saved. I'm not sure. But Pastor, pray for me. Would you put your hand up? You can put it up and put it right back down if you're not sure. How many of you this morning, by an upraised hand, from Acts chapter number 2 would say, thank you, Lord, for showing me from the Word of God this morning why you love the church and how I should love the church. Would you raise your hand this morning? Hands everywhere. Lord, thank you for the church. Thank you for loving it, giving yourself for it. 
And I pray that you'd help us to be a church, a true church, that loves you and loves this world the way that you did. Bless this invitation. Lord, as you have spoken to hearts,